I was thinking about the love that we have for the world and how dangerous it is to fall in love with the world and the things of this world. However, that love is a love that grows and it's not a love we fall into. It's a love we grow into. And we have to be very careful. You see, our world has experienced many challenges over the last few years, as you know. Our church has experienced many challenges over the last few years. But not just us individually or us as a church, but the world as a whole. And now, after having dealt with the lockdowns and having dealt with all that came with it, we are now attempting to think through how we're going to navigate the next set of mountains facing us, whether it be the inflation or gas prices, un unsustainable living standards or uncertainties with regards to Christian values. How many of you are concerned about the values in our nation? Yeah, It's a concerning thing, especially if you look towards the schools. Uh, we're facing with how divided our society is. And when these things happen, we have to see everything around us through scriptural eyes. And we have to make sure, as we spoke about last week, that discernment is exercised. Discernment is something you have because you have knowledge of God's ways. Because you have knowledge of God's ways, you can discern between right and wrong, good and evil. You have knowledge of God's ways because you have, uh, you have understanding of God's ways because you have knowledge of His Word. And so when we get into the Word of God, we have knowledge of God, who He is, what He wants, His standards, and how He relates to us, what He requires of us. If we have knowledge of that, we have understanding of His ways. If we have understanding of His ways, we can actually discern. We can discern from the Scriptures and make sure that we don't fall into what the world is luring us into. And so today is really an extension of that because, you know, when I was watching the news, it almost seems like things are changing faster than what we can consume the information. I thought I knew everything until I spoke with somebody else. I go like, hey, did you hear about that? I'm like, ah, never heard of it. Oh, it's been going on for three weeks. No, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, we as a nation, you know, we accept and even promote pornography while at the same time we apparently hate abuse. Uh, we as a nation, we believe that there is no such thing as gender, but then we fight for women's rights at the same time. We are a nation that believes no child should be left behind, but we abort them in their millions, 61 million right now. And as long as we are teaching our children that it's okay to kill other children in the womb, we're never going to stop a child from killing another child in a classroom. We are told that we can believe whatever we want to, you know, as long as it is exactly what the immoral politicians, the hypocritical newscasters, and the morally bankrupt actors in Hollywood tell us to believe. And while we are on the subject of all of this craziness going on in our public schools, it really burdened me, you know, over the last couple of weeks, what we saw. And Hosea 4.6 actually came to me as I was prayerfully thinking about what's happened in our schools over the last few decades, how prayer was taken out of school, 
Then the Bible was taken out of school. Then the Ten Commandments was taken out of school, out of every public place, including our justice system. And the onslaught again as our children hasn't stopped. It's quite staggering if you think about it, you know. Even if it's something uh, like baby, uh, you know, food shortage or the school curriculums that's now filled with transgender in indoctrination. Um, if you think about the school shootings themselves, the abortion rates, this onslaught against this younger generation I almost feel like we're back in the time of Pharaoh, you know, back in the time of Jesus, back in the time of Moses, where there was this onslaught against children. But I wonder where this is leading. Now, I'm no prophet or future predicting prophet, but things seem to be going in a wrong way fast. And it's appearing to be spiraling out of hand. Can you see things suddenly just turning around and, oh, we wait, we're all the way back to the way schools used to be. And it, it's simply, I don't see, like, you know, what's going to happen in the next 10, 20 years. I don't know. But even where we are at right now is sufficient enough to say wickedness is prevailing in our society. And we're concerned about this generation and the onslaught against this generation. But this scripture came to me, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, and of course, everybody knows the first part, but not the second part of this verse. The first part that says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Then it says, because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And then it says this, here it is. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget who? Your children. I'll also forget your children. Do we really think that we can allow things to just go down the road that it's been going in regards to whether it be, you know, prayer that's now out, Bible that's out, the Ten Commandments that's out? And do we think we can really ask for God's blessing when in fact, we can currently, currently you're safer handing out LGBTQ porn in high schools than what you are handing out a Bible. Can we ask God's blessing? Can we ask God, where were you? Which is always the question that the newspapers ask right, right after the shoot. God, where were you? Where was God? And then you have to get some slick guy go on TV and kind of spin away around it, right? Truthfully, the Bible says, since you have forgotten the, Lord, the law of your God, not just have we forgotten it, but it's become a um, very contentious issue. He says, I'll forget your children. So when we look at all that is going around us, all that's going on around us, we could very easily become disillusioned, concerned in a big way, because we expected more. Like our expectation was so high, and then we get something else, right? <laughs> We, we were hoping for so much better, and we were expecting better. We had such high expectations, only then to find that the world let us down. Uh, leaders let us down. School boards let us down. Um, but then I have to ask this question. Why are we expecting godly things to come from a fallen world? I think we should learn our lesson that you cannot expect holiness to come from a wicked generation. You just can't do it. You can't expect to get flowers. Well, 
You, you, can't get, you can't expect to get sweet fruit from a bad tree, right? You just can't expect that. Or drink sweet water from a bitter fountain. Just not possible. And so very oftentimes we get disillusioned because we put our hope into the next politician, the next political party, or the next, uh, you know, person running a school board. Or We put our hope into people. We put our hope into systems. We put our hope into this world way too much. We cannot get godly outcomes from an unrepentant, fallen world. We have to stop misplacing our hope. And if we stop misplacing our hope, placing it into a system versus God, you know, if we stop that, we will become a lot healthier a lot healthier because I'm actually looking forward to one day um, walking into, well, I'm looking forward to myself having healthy conversations because <laughs> sometimes, you know, every single conversation is so stinking toxic. You know, you, you just, you have to learn to have godly conversations. Put your hopes on, on, on the Lord and put, place your affections on what is above. Because we have to remember that the world system is an enemy, not a friend. The world is not your friend. The world system is a predator, not an ally. In verse 15 of 1 John 2, we are commanded straight up, he says, Do not love the world. Do not love the world. Can we all please say that? Do not love the world. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Do not love the world. However, what is sometimes strange, and I think this is where, this is where everything crumbles, is the fact that we can say that, we can hear that, we can claim to believe it, but when it comes to loving, Anybody in the world can say, well, you're a Christian, you're supposed to love. And we're like, oh, yeah, I am, sorry. I won't say anything. I won't do anything. Because we know that the Bible is very clear that God is love, right? 1 John 4, 8. We see in 1 John 4, 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Whomever loves has been born of God. And whomever loves knows God. So, we are commanded to love one another. We are told that love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God, and whoever loves knows God. So, we're going to have to just love. We just always have to love. That is true, depending on if you know the whole truth regarding love. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 16, we are told God is love. Whomever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So I want God to abide in me and I want to abide in God. So I have to give myself to love consistently at all times. But how, where do we draw this line? Because at the same time, we are told not to love this world. So our conclusion is, it is common knowledge to most that God loves and whoever loves has been born of God 
We've been taught that the entire law hangs upon this, these two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. So, I mean, where, what else can I do but love? I just have to always love. And that's why what I wanted to do today is talk to you about the love God hates. The love God hates. Because there is a love He warns us against. He commands us to not have the very kind of love people have, that kind of love that God hates and condemns. And so only if you're able to discern right from wrong can you say, the love that God loves, the love that God hates. I love this way, I don't love that way. I mean, it's so confusing these days because people, you know, they love their mom, they love their children, they love their wife, they love their cat, they love vacation, they love chocolate, they love green. <laughs> you know, oh, and I love God. You know, it's like, no, when God loves, God, God loves in different ways. God loves different things in different ways. It's not like he does not love an animal, but he didn't die for an animal. It's not like God doesn't love the creation. He created it, and it was good, but he didn't shed his blood for the stars. God loves you in a different way than he would love the cosmos, right? He loves you in a different way than he would love the mountains and the hills. So we have to be able to discern between love and love. What to love, who to love, how to love. I mean, if you think about it, throughout scriptures, it's all over the place. Psalm 97 verse 10, it says, Oh, you who love the Lord hate evil. It's such a great comparison there. You who love God, you who love the Lord, you hate evil. Can't do both. I can't say that I love children and then I don't judge child abuse. Can't say that I love my children while not hating that which tries to destroy them. My love for them, the intensity that I have, the intensity of love that I have for my children determines how intensely I hate that which tries to destroy them. See, you cannot love without hating. So, in Psalm 97.10, O you who love the Lord, hate evil because He's holy. Psalm 119 verse 104 says, Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Psalm 119 verse 113 says, I hate the double-minded. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. The law of God is not double-minded. It's not a it's not a fork, doesn't have a forked tongue. That's why I hate the double mind. Psalm 119 verse 28 says, Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Psalm 119 verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Family, the more you in love, you fall with the, with the Word of God. 
the more you will hate every false way. If you don't hate the false way, if you don't hate a double mind, if you don't hate evil, it is a red flag that says you need to fall in love with the Word of God. You need to fall in love with the Word of God. There's a deception in thinking that God can only love and never hate. The truth is God has to hate because He loves. You cannot say that you love God while loving everything else that hates Him and that He hates. I love how John Calvin actually said, even a dog barks when his master is assailed. Even a dog hates to see his master assailed. And that's how you and I are when we see truth thrown out of our schools, out of our lives, and when truth is attacked. Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 19, it's the last one I'll read to you, but there are so many of these. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are, are an abomination to Him. Now, I love, before we read through this, I love how people always say, God hates the sin, but He loves the sinner, right? <laughs> and um, unfortunately, it doesn't filter through the Word. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. So the seventh one he, is an abomination. The first, He says, is haughty eyes. It's the proud look. I've always wondered if it's the one who looks proud or the one who looks proudly at him. Like, I think both. Because pride is in the heart. Number two, a lying tongue. He hates that. Hands that shed innocent blood. God hates that. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. False witness who breathes out lies. And here's the seventh, here's the sixth one. Oh, the seventh one, excuse me. The one who sows discord among brothers. The one who sows discord among brothers. So what part of the world are we supposed to hate? Which part of this world does God expect you to detest? It is the world system that opposes God and opposes His truth. That's the world. In John 15, 18 and 19, I want to read it to you again. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So, do you have a relationship with the world? Yes, you do. What kind of relationship? What's the nature of that relationship? It's, a, it's not a good one. It's the one of hate. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So what does it mean to love the world? This is the concern that's being dealt with here. Now consider this for a moment, since we, the body of Christ, we are the bride of Christ. It is important to see 
what it would mean for a believer to love the world as opposed to loving Christ. All right? So almost everything I'm going to mention here, you can, you can and should put into the context of or rooted into the context of marriage. Because ultimately, we are married to Christ. That's why we are not allowed to love another. We are married to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And therefore, to love the world is to commit spiritual adultery with the world. So what I wanted to do is, I wanted to give you five telltale signs that I love the world. How many of you would like to know if you love this world? Yeah? So glad every single hand went up. <laughs> you guys cold out there? Everybody's a little bit, yeah. Here are five telltale signs. Do I love the world? Well, you love the world system when you allow the world to set the course of your life. When you allow the world to set the course of your life. This is the first telltale sign. Just like a wife allows her husband to set the course of her life, so we ought to allow Christ to set the course of our lives. For me to live is Christ. Christ sets the course of my life. I have chosen a certain path because Christ compels me to. That's, just not, that's not just saying something, that's doing something. I realize there are some things that are more important to me than lower taxes, for instance. Christ has set the course of my life. I am where I am, do what I do, because I'm faithful to Christ first and foremost. Amen? So just like our head sets the course of our body, so Christ, our head, sets the course of His body, the church. However, the person who loves the world allows the world to set the course of their lives. I'll give you a couple of practical examples just so that we can take spiritual principles and truths and actually apply it to some of the most common areas in life, right? And then we can play it out everywhere. See, every single verse has only one interpretation. The verse is not... Whenever you sit in a small group, you don't ask, like, what does this verse mean to you? No, it means one thing to everyone. You can apply it in a mil million different ways, and you should apply it in all of your life. Every truth should be applied in your entire life, but every scripture means one thing. And so to apply this idea of the world setting a person's uh, the course of a person's life. I'll give you one example. If you give yourself to priorities that take you away from God's priorities, that is you allowing the world to set the course of your life. Right? All you have to do is check out your priority list and see how many of those priorities are taking you away from the priorities that God has given you. We were at a food drive yesterday. The crumbs had introduced us to, invited us to. And 
as we were standing there, we were talking to the couple behind us, and the man said to Robert, uh, so do you play sports? Because the guy had really great arms, you know? <laughs> like, so I complimented his arms. Anyway, I don't know how else to start a conversation. Nice arms. <laughs> anyway, so we were just chatting, and the guy said, uh, hey, do you play sports? And Robert said, yeah, uh, what do you do? He says, well, we don't, you know, we don't have an official sports team that we join or anything. We try to, but we had to give it up because it all falls on Sunday mornings. And he goes, ah, church, church. True. Can't tell you, you know, I've been in the full-time ministry for many, many years on two different continents, and the same spirit reigns everywhere. <laughs> People will choose their child's sporting career over what's more important to that child as far as he's Spiritual responsibilities and fruitfulness. Why? Because college. Oh, because that's my next example. <laughs> when you allow the world to, you allowed the world to set your goals, not just your priorities. I should have turned those around. When the world sets your goal, the world has already set your priorities because you have priorities set in order to accomplish goals. So your priorities serve your goal. And if your goal is in your child's life to graduate from college, but not Bible school kind of thing, you know, to know a lot about everything else but the Scriptures, well, the world has set that goal for you, right? I'm not saying every child needs to go to Bible school. I'm just saying he goes to school, but he's not being trained in life, in God's ways. God can do so much more. than worldly knowledge. So when there's a bigger emphasis placed upon you have to have a secular education versus you have to have a biblical education, then the world has set the course of your life. And you love the world more than you love the kingdom. So the question is, how do I know I love the world? Well, number two, is when you allow the world to govern your hopes and your expectations. You allow the world to govern your hopes and your expectations. Just like a spouse offers hope and expectations when they, when they say, I do, you know, or when that guy hands her the ring the first time and asks her to marry him. There's this great expectation that floods her. And trust me, long before he gives her that ring and asks her to marry him, him, in her mind, she's been married to him. <laughs> it's like she gets married to him the first date. It's like, all right, yeah, she's got these great expectations of everything that could be and the dress I'm going to wear and 12 children I'm going to have and the beautiful little house on the prairie we're going to live in and, and I'm going to go milk the cows every morning. And women get so romantic about stuff. That's if you find milking cattle romantic. But immediately, the hopes and the expectations flood people's lives. And just like a spouse offers hope and expectation in life to their marriage partner, so Christ gives us hope and it gives us expectation for the future. Now, if your hopes for a specific 
Let me say that. You allow the world to govern your hopes. You allow the world to govern your expectations. And that's why what we need to do is we need to make sure we're always more hopeful over what God's going to do in the light and the heart of our neighbor, what God is doing in his kingdom, than what we are hopeful for a democracy. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Democracies come and democracies go. But our hope and our expectation is on the kingdom of God. And that's why, as a pastor, I encourage you at all times, get more excited about the things of God, and I too should, than we are over the things of this world. I'll give you a good example. You know, some people are into, like, CNN, other people are into Fox. Do you realize Fox News has Bruce Jenner as a contributor? Like, all I'm going to tell you is it doesn't matter where you place your heart. It's going to get disappointing. Yeah. Allow the world to govern your hopes and you will be disappointed. Allow the world to govern your expectations, you will be disappointed. So if your hopes and your expectations aren't on God and His kingdom, then you are guilty of loving the world to a degree. Number three, how do I know if I'm loving the world? You submit to the world's demands and the world's requirements. You submit to the world's demands and the world's requirements. It's actually interesting. Um, Tina and I were talking about this the other day, that <laughs> everything I'm saying here, I got out of what, I got out of the marriage picture. I hope you're okay. So we were talking about how women sometimes, like to the husband, I will not submit. I will not submit. I'm going to work. I'm going to find myself a job. She gets in the car. She rushes off and she goes, works in the office where she's submitting to some other guy that just employed her. Right? My point is just, the way God designed life is every single one of us submits somewhere, right? We all submit, right? And we have to make sure that we submit to God's requirements, His standards, not the world's, right? Submission is part of marriage. God designed it that way because we submit to Christ. We're married to Him. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to submit to a degree, excuse me, to a decree that violated the conscience before God, their conscience before God. They wouldn't do it. In the same way, we love the world when we allow the world to require to, us to do things that violate our biblically informed consciences. A biblically informed conscience. When the world requires for us to violate that, then we don't submit. Never. We love the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but when it comes to us, <laughs> we just do whatever they tell us all the time, right? We'll look at a woman and we'll call him him <laughs> because that's what him wants. No, you're not allowed to lie. Does that not violate somebody's conscience when they lie? 
Of course it does. It should. If it's biblically informed, it would. No, I don't do that. Neither should you. Don't make lying part of your life. So you, when you submit to the world's demands and requirements, you're loving the world like a wife loves her husband, like we, we're supposed to love Christ. We submit to the world's demands and requirements when we do business, questionable business deals, like the world does business deals because it's common. We might as well just do it also. Romans chapter 12, we know that verse so very well. Do not be conformed to the ways of this world. But what? Be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. I want to put a stake in the ground here quick. Something that uh, really is like nails on a chalkboard and should be to every single one of us is when somebody divides the Word of God with Jesus Himself where they love Jesus, especially if the song is in A minor and it's slow and it's sappy and your, and your favorite vocalist is leading it, right? Oh, how I love Jesus. I just love Him. Hey, do you want to get around? Let's talk about scriptures. Well, I'm not really a theologian. I don't do the doctrine thing. You see, that is when people really kind of divorce that they divide Jesus as if he's two. There are many paradoxes in the Bible. God is three, God is one, we believe it. Jesus is 100% God, he's 100% man. Which one is he? We believe it. Right? God is sovereign over salvation, man is responsible, we believe it. The Word of God is the Word of God, and Jesus is the Word made flesh. Both are true. He is the beginning, and He's the end, both at the same time. We believe both. He is the beginning and the end. That's who He is. But He's the Word, and He was the Word made flesh, both the same one. Cannot be separated, cannot be divided, cannot be divorced. I would like to go as far as saying this, that anybody who has... Well, let me say it this way. Your relationship to scriptures is the relationship you have with Jesus. I don't care how much you cry when that song comes on. If you are not into scriptures, you don't love Jesus. There's no love for Jesus if you trivialize His Word. So to love the Word is to love Christ. To submit to the Word of God is to submit to Christ. There's no other way you can submit to Him. That's why people love a subjective truth, because they can submit to that subjective truth. But the only thing is, they came up with that subjective truth. <laughs> so I'm saying, it's so interesting how God's always telling somebody to do exactly what they've always wanted to do. It's like, yeah, but God told me Hawaii is where I'm supposed to be. That's what you've always wanted. Now you're telling me God told you. And if God, by the way, said, Jonathan, move to Hawaii, if God really said that, then we should add it to the canon of scriptures. Because it's God's word, isn't it? We should really add it.
So when somebody, <clears throat> when somebody, um, trivializes scriptures, or let me say doctrine, because doctrine is basically the teaching of scriptures regarding a subject, the doctrine of justification. In other words, the teaching, the Bible teaching of justification. When somebody can't get into that and like, ah, that's, I got no appetite for that, that is a red flag for that person. We have to, by the way, Women of the Word finished reading right through the Bible two weeks ago. Yeah, let's give our ladies a hand. That's wonderful. Two weeks ago, the whole entire Bible, and they did a study of every, of, of every book. That's wonderful. And um, I'm looking forward to us as a family doing it together um, next year because I know, I know Andre jumped in with Women of the Word. He made Women of the Word masculine. <laughs> so we see... The five telltale signs that I love the world. The first is, I know I love the world when I allow the world to set the course of my life. Number two, I know I, I love the world when I allow it to govern my hopes and my expectations. I know I love the world when I submit to the world's demands and requirements. Number four, I know I love the world when I give the world my preoccupation, where I'm preoccupied with the world, I'm loving it. I want to, I'm not going to say much about it because you know it's true. One of the signs that I love my wife is that I'm preoccupied with her. I'm taken by her. She has my attention. <laughs> If I never thought about her, I didn't consider her. What proof do I have that I actually love her? What are you preoccupied with is the question. What are you preoccupied with? I'd just like to say it this way. If you seek after worldly rewards more than you seek after well done, good and faithful servant, if you seek after worldly recognition, worldly affirmation, worldly rewards more than what you are seeking after hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. If that is you, you do love the world to a degree. You cannot deny that you do. You do love the world to a degree. And that is breaking a commandment. It says, do not love this world. That is the love God hates. That's in you and I. Many people <clears throat> have different ways of measuring success. Uh, some people, they measure success financially. Other people measure success by happiness. Other people measure success by all that they've accomplished. Um, many different ways of measuring success. Some measure success by how they know other people view them. You know, that's where this, the celebrity status thing comes in. But I want to give you a biblical definition of success. Success in life is hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant on that day. 
If you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, on that day, you were successful in this life. Because the opposite is true. If I get there and I do not hear those words, it does not matter what I did here. It was a failure. If I do not hear those words, I failed. And if we do not live unto that, but we live unto being affirmed by the world, loved by this world, enjoyed by this world, we are loving this world to a degree. And God's calling us to repent from that. You love this world system when you allow the world to set the course of your life, when you allow the world to govern your hopes and your expectations, when you submit to the world's demands and requirements, when you are preoccupied with this world. Number five, and finally, when you give the world your affections. When I'm in search of worldly acceptance and affirmation, like when celebrity ministers appear on a talk show and they can't quote the obvious verse that's been asked of them, when they can't give the actual scripture and they have to get to some kind of subjective contortionist view of what love would really mean in that situation. <laughs> when they are in search of rather being accepted than just giving what the Bible says about what God see, how God sees things, then of course they are placing their affections upon the world and they are begging for the world's affection. And I think that's the issue right there. The crux of the matter is right there. People are so desperate for the world's affection, they simply can't imagine being alone. They can't imagine being the only one saying, um, you know what, I'm not bowing, I'm sorry. Yeah, but do you know you're the only one not bowing here? Yeah, I, I realize I'm in the minority. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. But people can't, people can't be, uh, they can't stomach the idea of being rejected. Folks, I don't know how to tell you, but as a Christian, all throughout scriptures, that's the one promise you have. It's not a threat, it's a promise. You will be rejected. You will be hated. And if you cannot make peace with that, that's a problem. I know that I have affections for this world and I've placed my affections on this world. When I have a greater appetite to be with worldly people, hanging with a worldly crowd than I do with my brothers and sisters. You know, one of the first things that happened to you when you got saved, you might not know exactly the moment you got saved, but one thing that happened when God birthed you anew is that you loved being with like-minded believers. You just loved it. You looked forward to it. You still do. But when I have a greater appetite to be with a worldly crowd than with believers, I have set my affections upon this world. The kind of, okay, so I just wrote this because I, 
I thought it kind of like drives the point home. The kind of fellowship I long for reveals a tremendous amount of where my heart is. Ask yourself privately so you can't lie to yourself. What kind of fellowship am I longing for? Because that reveals your heart to you. Paul said in Colossians 3 verse 2, Set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Another translation says, set your affections. Your mind and your affections are integrated. You cannot ignore something and claim to love it. Not think about it and claim to love it. Set your mind on something and you will eventually get excited about it. So in our text, we see Paul lays out three categories in which the world sets out to tempt us. Um, how many of you would like to know those three categories that the world is currently tempting you in? This is how the world comes at you to try and get you to fall in love with it, with her. This is how the world <clears throat> tries to get you to commit adultery with her. It's right in our, in our text, in 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Don't commit adultery with the world. You are married to Christ. Now, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That person who loves the world, they don't have God's love. God's love compels you to hate the world that hates God the one you say you love. For all that is in the world, and here it is, number one, the desires of the flesh, number two, the desires of the eyes, and number three, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those three, three things is not from God. These three things is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whosoever does the will of God abides forever. So, we have those three things that we now know. The categories are the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. I'll put it to you in a nutshell. The world is tempting you, flirting with you through the lust of the eyes, which means it's going to show you what looks good. Eve saw that fruit and wanted it, it looked good to the eye, and it led her to sin. Samson saw her and wanted her, which led to his downfall. David, King David, saw her and desired her, which led to a tremendous amount of consequences. Now, let me just say this. Not everything that looks good is a temptation, of course. But everything that looks good, that is forbidden by God, that is the world tempting you. Wow, that looks great. Wow. You know, I would love to do that. When in fact you know that God forbids it. So it's the eyes. Can everybody please say it's the eyes? Okay, so when you see something and, and that, and you know it's not from God, but it strikes a desire within you, the world has just flirted with you. Wanting you to commit adultery by loving it more than, loving, than you loving Christ. Number two, the world flirts with you 
through the lust of the flesh, which means not only does it look good, it actually tastes good or it feels good. Or it's a great experience. Man, that was awesome. The Bible says only for a season is it awesome. Then it comes back to destroy you. Hebrews 11, 24 and 25 says, By faith, Moses, when he, was when he was come to years, when he was come to years, is that English? Yes, it is. When he was come to years, <laughs> this is the King James Version, <laughs> refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin is pleasurable. And when you realize, not only does it look good, but man, great experience, great, it's a feel good, it's good, but you know it's prohibited by God. That is the world flirting with you, trying to get you to commit adultery with the world, loving the world instead of your, your bridegroom, Christ. Sin offers pleasures, but it offers pleasures that is short-lived. The third way the world is going to flirt with you to try and get you to love it is the pride of life. The pride of life. The pride of life is when you, when you play God. Now, there's so much to be said here. We've run out of time, but I want to say this. Um, I always use the same examples because I want like to drive a point home so you know. Next time you see somebody on TV, not able to quote the verse that the interviewer is asking them for, what you need to know is happening there right then, is that they like to have their ego stroked. That person there who cannot give the truth is desperate for acceptance, love, affirmation, and having their ego stroked. Like, oh, you know, what a, you're so loving. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I'm so, you're so wise. Well, yeah, I, I, I work hard at it. You know, like, I don't know. People love to have their ego stroked. And if you want the world to stroke your ego, in other words, if you want everybody to speak well of you, this is a problem, right? This is a sign that we're loving the world. It's the pride of life. Pride wants to be stroked. Pride wants to be flattered. Pride wants to be a desire. But, Demands to be affirmed. Pride is so sensitive. You will find pride in the church. You'll find pride behind pulpits. When people are saying like, well, that wasn't winsome. I wouldn't say it like that because I don't want to offend. That wasn't winsome. Whenever somebody starts using the word winsome, trust me, they're trying to worm their way through a situation without planting a stake in the ground. It's like, it's like the church version of peace, uh, uh, political correctness culture. Completely just float into the church. We're like, well, we'll just teach and say things, making sure that they're winsome. All edges are off. You don't have to take the Jesus' edge off. <laughs> he divides everything he touches, right? He really does. Let Jesus be Jesus. You submit to him. He's your head. The pride of life is how the world will flirt with you. By stroking your ego. Never have humans had such a little God complex as they do right now. A little God complex. 
I mean, there's even such a doctrine right now in the charismatic movement, the little God complex or the little God theory. Well, God spoke things and I'm going to speak things. And, you know, like, honestly, like, you, you're not God. All right, let's start there. He was not created. You are the creation. He is the creator. He is holy, separate from you, in a sense that he sits above his creation and he's not subject to all of what we are subject to. But let me just quickly say this. Self-elevation is celebrated. That is a pagan thing. You know, the pagans do that too. Self-elevation is celebrated and seen as a virtue. Self-elevation is seen as a virtue in today's culture. And that is the pride of life. People elevate themselves by making themselves the source of truth. How do I know this? Because how they ask it, like, what's your truth? Well, if I can come up with the truth, then I'm the source of truth, am I not? Well, that's self-elevation. Instead of submitting yourself to an objective truth, you come up with truth. Right? That's self-elevation. They elevate themselves by claiming ultimate value, ultimate value, ultimate beauty, ultimate potential, and ultimate rights. Ultimate value, how? Because they always said, you're worth it. You're so worth it. There's nobody like you. God sent Jesus to die for you because you are so valuable. That is self-elevation. The truth is Jesus didn't die for me because I'm valuable. I'm valuable, valuable because Jesus died for me, right? He did not come to win a prize. He came to pay a price. There's a difference. He did not come to purchase my value. He came to pay the penalty for my sin. There's a difference there. He did not, you know, you know, this is why the gospel of Christ does not make me great. It actually makes him great and it humbles me. It's a big problem to preach a gospel that's almost exactly the gospel of the Bible with the exception of you the prize. <laughs> You're great. He came to pay the penalty. That painting was worthless until a bunch of us decided we're going to pay for it up to a million dollars. Suddenly now it's valued at a million dollars. Why? Because of what we were willing to pay for it. Right? In the same way, God was willing to pay the penalty for you. He put value on you. He didn't purchase your value. He didn't need me. <laughs> but he loves, so he's willing. Don't minimize and trivialize God's love by adding your value. Are you following what I'm saying? He loved you so much. But now that we realize how valuable you are, it's like, I get it. I get it. It's like trying to get married to somebody not because you love them, but because you need a green card, right? Not that I did it. But I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't that suddenly make you go like, ah, I wonder if he really loves her. He's getting something. <laughs> right? <laughs> that would completely make you wonder if I truly love, right? And I'm telling you, people really can't believe that God loves them. Why? Because I know you're getting a lot out of this God, this cross thing. Because you're getting me and, you know. Ooh. They elevate themselves, how? 
by becoming the source of truth, by becoming ultimate value, by becoming ultimate beauty, you are beautiful just the way you are. Society is nuts. I mean, can you believe it? Everybody's beautiful. By becoming ultimate potential, this is what kids are taught from, from the first day. You can become anything you want. You have what it takes. And nobody can stand in your way. You just believe in yourself. You can do it, okay? You can be anything. Well, that's not true. You know that. I tried figure skating. It's not true. They lied. You know, and so coming to a close through the self-esteem movement, we have seen the rise of self like never before where people simply cannot handle getting, not getting their way. They can't handle not getting their way. This is how you know somebody is so big upon themselves as they cannot handle not getting it, getting their way, whether it is at a McDonald's drive-thru or whether it's at the voting booth. People now publicly have meltdowns when they do not get their way. And the only possible solution there is for us to obey God's Word and not love the world fall out of love with the world. And I beg you to think through this because the Bible says to us that God disciplines those whom He loves. And I'm just wondering um, who decides how God's going to discipline the one whom He wants to get to stop loving this world. Think about it for a moment. How would a God that is sovereign discipline His child who continues falling in love with the world, how would God discipline that child? I don't know. But you don't want that. And if you are a chosen son of God, chosen before the foundations of the world, trust me, God will do what needs to be done in order for you to get to where He needs you to be, and that is out of love with the world. Don't Take this lightly. God help us. May I not love this world. The only possible solution there is for us to obey God's word and not to love the world is to humbly deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Matthew 16, 24. If anyone comes to me, let him deny himself. Take up his own cross. Follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, today, we ask you to give us a clear mind, an open mind, and a soft heart as we look into your word. God, may we never forget that you have called us to love you with all of our heart, all of our strength, and stuff we're good with. May we love you with everything we have. And Lord, may we not be lured in through the temptations and the flirtation that the world brings to us every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the word?